I'm so thankful for the privilege of being able to preach uh, in a context where people with these gifts of music and voice are able to prepare my heart, and I trust yours as well. And you know, if you have trouble praying for things like revival, you could do worse than memorizing the verses, words that we just sang. Twenty years ago, those words were written. They have not lost, at least for me, any of their power to shape my own prayers for revival. At the end of the sermon, the worship team will lead us in two more songs. You just memorize those three songs. You can pray ten minutes for revival or any trouble at all. We need all the help we can get. And I never cease to amaze me that when it comes to our professional lives, we take courses, we buy books, we invest all kinds of time, we get find mentors to advance in the kingdom of this world. And that's all good. But how about when it comes to God's kingdom? Should we not be pressing into service every possible help that we can get? To cry out to God to advance. And as we begin another ministry year, I want to say to you that I'm making that commitment with you to keep pressing forward. To harness every tool we can to go hard after God. On Sundays and in between Sundays. From Monday till Saturday. So just join me on that journey. I want to do everything I can to help you in that process. And I just ask you just to learn and uh, keep seeking His heart. During our summer uh, time off, one of the several books, three books I read was Eugene Peterson's biography. I've read all of most of his books. It was just great to read his life story. And fairly early in his pastoral career, which spanned three or four decades, he decided he was going to read all the books that he could find on pastoral theology written by the current expert in the country. I think he read about seven or eight of his books. And he did not find one reference to prayer in all those books. To me, that's an absolutely frightening concept. For those of you who have been here in this church any length of time know that I have chosen to stake the effectiveness of my ministry here on both personal and corporate prayer. Now I am no giant when it comes to prayer. I have never prayed all night ever in my life. I haven't gone on long fasts and whatnot. There are people in this congregation who are much more gifted intercessors. But I have attempted to be consistent both in my prayer life and in calling you together to pray. In addition to our monthly concepts of prayer, for those of you who don't know what they are, they're just a group of people gathering together, and we get together in small groups, and we all pray for the same thing at the same time. In addition to those monthly concepts of prayer, we have two prolonged emphasis on prayer in our church. The first happens in the first week of the year in January. Most of you know that you are regulars. We just cancel all the programs in the church for that first full week, and we pray every night. And our focus there is on repentance, on getting our hearts right before God and asking God to touch all the ministries of our church in this coming year. And the Friday of that week, we attempt to listen to what God has to say for us as Alan and his team lead us in that listening exercise. The second prolonged emphasis is in September every year. Only it's not one week long. We just devote the Sunday nights in September for concerts of prayer, but not focusing inward, this time focusing outward, as we pray for our international workers, especially those who are working amongst our adopted people group, the Turkic people speaking group. Now it so happens that these September Sunday nights when we do this, also coincides with our friends series that you heard about. And we encourage you in those services to invite your friends and relatives and associates and neighbors, that's what FRAN stands for, who are on a spiritual pilgrimage in you, and we want to promise you that you can bring them to a place where they aren't going to be embarrassed. And really that's not the best time to be speaking about missions and demons and spiritual warfare and all that kind of stuff. That's not language they relate to. So this is the only opportunity that I have in September because you won't be hearing about those on the next three weekend services. 
So, today I want to give you information and I also want to win a hearing for your participation in this prayer effort. So, on September 9th tonight, 16th and the 30th, and I haven't forgotten the 23rd, I'll come back to it in a minute, it's slightly different in nature. On the 9th tonight, 16th and the 30th, we'll be gathering together to pray for Ken and Claire Bradley, for uh, Suresh and Cheryl Gunaratnam, and for Wayne and Catherine Cassidy, uh, who are working up amongst the Turkic-speaking group. Uh, and that's what we're going to be focusing on. Each night they'll be giving us prayer requests and we'll be praying for them. On the 16th, we have a slightly different uh, additional blessing to that. Many of you know Ken and Tara Kent Hasnali from our church, who has been making visits in recent months and the last couple of years now to Senegal, because in Senegal there's one of the strategically important unreached people groups known as the Fulani. When Ken and Tara were in Libya, they actually met a medical doctor, Dr. So, who is a Fulani man himself, and he and Ken are working together effectively. And Dr. So is actually visiting us in these days. Is he here? He was here in the first service. I will introduce him to us. Dr. So will actually be giving us a little 10-minute report on the 16th. And one of our units of prayer is going to be to praying for the ministry in Senegal. By the way, on Thursday the 13th, Dr. So will be speaking at much greater length about his ministry. All of you are invited as a potluck at 7 o'clock. If you are able to come for that, please email Ken Hasnali. The details are there in your bulletin. And then the speaking will start around 7.45 or so. So that's what's going to happen on the 9th, 16th, and the 30th. On the 23rd, it's going to be a slightly different tack. Some of you know my brother-in-law, Rabbi Zacharias, whom God has used for decades in a very effective ministry, uh, primarily based on apologetics and evangelism by reaching the heart through the mind. Because for some people, that is the doorway that God has uniquely fashioned to hear the gospel. Well, RZIM has offices in many parts of the world and in England, uh, in their team, led by Michael Ramson, there's a young woman named Tanya Walker who is a brilliant, gifted apologist. And therefore, she's very well suited to take one of these Fran messages. So on that weekend, she's actually going to be preaching the second message in the Fran series on I am the way, the truth, and the life. But the focus is going to be more apologetic and look and address the whole issue of human beings' search for meaning. But on that Sunday evening, we're going to be treated to something special that we will not be advertising. See, she's also just completed her PhD in, in Islamic studies. And she's going to be taking about 30 to 40 minutes to talk to us about some very significant insights that she has gained as a result of that. And then we're going to take a little bit of time to pray for her and for the challenges that she's facing because of this work that she has done. There will be no further announcements of this because of the nature of the subject. So please mark down these four dates, 9th, 16th, 23rd, and the 30th. Now, while the purpose of this message is to primarily cast a vision and win a hearing for our participation in these prayer times for the uh, for our international workers, the principles that I'm going to be sharing apply to any kind of praying for anybody, whether it's local missions here or even in your own life. So I want to draw your attention to one more prayer initiative that will go way beyond the September and probably cover the next three years. Uh, will you just take out this little prayer guide that you have uh, in here? And I'm just, rather than just comment upon it, I'm going to read the first two paragraphs because I wrote that myself, so you're getting my words anyway. <laughs> I was thinking of Dr. Shuler who once in the middle of a message said, I remember I wrote something about that somewhere. He opened the book of his and he quoted himself. You know, <laughs> so, Well, this is sort of like that. So just read the first little part there in the prayer guide. This is to be used during the transition process for selecting and assimilating a new preaching pastor who will eventually replace me in this pulpit. Just a couple of paragraphs on background there and then the rest of it is a prayer guide. The strategic planning committee with input from board of elders and pastoral staff has been developing a search process for this individual. When complete, this will be ratified by the elders and a timeline set in motion. The current goal is to have this individual on staff by December 2013 
at the latest. This will allow at least a two-year overlap for some kind of ongoing mentoring by me. <clears throat> to date, where have we come? We've finalized the job description, key character qualities and skill sets that this person will need to possess. An advertisement which will be placed in various strategic media has also been drawn up. Given the importance of this transition, it is our desire that the entire process be saturated in prayer. To this end, we have developed this prayer guide. We encourage you to use it in many settings, personal prayer, small groups, various, and whenever ministry leaders get together, and even for your family prayers as well. So stick it in your Bible and use it. Basically, there are 15 prayer requests, but they are drawn from several portions of Scripture, all of which deal with the issue of transition and leadership. So that our prayers are not based on personal whims and preferences. They are based on what God's mind and heart have already shown is supposed to govern these kinds of processes in local churches. Alright? Okay, let's get started. Now last year at this time, when I was doing the similar sermon to set up the 1040 window prayer meetings for last year, I took you through the entire New Testament to prove one thesis. That God has seen fit to tie the success of every aspect of his global missionary endeavor to the prayers of unnamed Christians all over Asia Minor at that time. And we learned, here are some of the things we learned that God does through intercessory prayer. You may want to go back and listen to that sermon again, but this is what we learned. We learned that through prayer, God calls new laborers, that unity is preserved at all levels, that workers facing depression, despair and even death are delivered. That evangelists are given courage and clarity to preach the gospel. That doors are open for the proclamation of the gospel. And that the word preached spreads rapidly and is honored by those who hear it. That's why I said God in his scriptures has made it clear that the success of every part of the global missions mandate of Christ is directly linked to the intercessory prayers of his people. I wanted today to do the opposite, not to range through the whole New Testament. I want to take five verses from Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. And build upon what we learned last year. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, 16 to 3, 5. Sorry, 7 verses. Paul begins with these words. He says, Now may the, our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Paul is praying two things for the Thessalonian church as he's drawing his final letter to a close. He says, I pray that God may comfort your hearts as the same word that is translated encouragement or coming alongside. That speaks of moving in your Christian life. And secondly, he says that he may establish you. In other words, every new movement will not be just a dabbling for a few moments. It will become a settled part of your life. And he says this, that this will happen in every good work and word. In what they speak and what they do, Paul is saying, my prayer is that God will keep moving you. But as you keep moving into new experiences of his word and his good deeds, that they will become established in your life. They will become habits that are deeply entrenched in your life. So that's the first thing that he begins to pray for. And then he goes on to talk about a very particular manifestation of this good deed through good words. Uh, chapter 3, and of course in the original language there are no chapter divisions, so Paul has no break in his thought at all. Having said that God prayed that God would establish them in every good work and word, he says, finally brothers, pray for us. That's the use of our speech, words. That the word of the Lord may spread speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. So Paul is asking the Thessalonian church to pray two or three things for him. As the first expression of this good deed and word. He says, pray that God's word may spread rapidly. 
pray that God's word may be welcomed. And then he says, because this is an opposed task, pray that I will be protected from evil men. For not everybody has faith. So right away, we know one thing. What we are going to be doing on these September Sunday evenings, because we are going to be praying for people like Paul in the parts of the world that he was when he wrote these letters. We can be sure of one thing, that we are doing a good deed. And so here's the first thing I want you to remember. Intercessory prayer is a first priority good deed according to the scriptures. That's the first thing Paul talks about. As God directs their heart into good words and good deed, he says, use those words to pray for me. Now the next verse is what is completely unexpected. And Paul drives home what is the central message that I want to give to you today. But in verse 3 he says this, after praying that, he said, But God is faithful and he will establish you and guard you against the evil one. That's not what I would have expected. I would have expected Paul to say something like this. After asking the Thessalonians to pray for him that he would be protected from the evil one, I would have expected Paul to say, now God is faithful and he will establish us and guard us. That's not what he says. He says, no, you pray that I will be protected from the evil one and God will protect you from the evil one. The implications of this are staggering if we will fork it through for a few moments. Think with me again. He's asking the church to pray for him that in his missionary work he will be protected from the enemy. And then he says, and God is faithful who will protect you from the enemy. What does that say to us? It says to us that Satan attacks the intercessors the way he attacks the missionaries. You ever thought of that? One of the ways we can gauge what is important in the Christian life and what is not important is what Satan opposes and what he doesn't. He doesn't get bothered when we are frittering away our time in social media. That's no threat to his kingdom. He doesn't care, couldn't care two bits about it. But you start praying and he's going to level his big guns at you. So you can jot this one down as well. Intercessory prayer is crucially important because Satan opposes it as hard as he opposes the actual work of the mission. Now, in order for us to engage in this, there are a couple of things that we need. And so Paul prays for that next. So after encouraging that, us that, to do this good deed in praying for him, he says, And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. That I'm confident that you will be praying for me. I'm confident that you will be protected by the enemy. And then he says, he blesses them with two things that they need. He says, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. So we can jot a third thing down. Intercessory prayer is sustained by God's love and Christ's perseverance. Now this is not so much talking about our love for God, but God's love poured into us for the people that we are praying for. The context makes that very clear. And it's easy why we need love. Because that's the supreme motive. We always pray for the people that we love. That's why we pray effortlessly for our children and even more for our grandchildren. So how do you love people who are thousands of miles away that you don't really know well? Well, you get to know them a little bit better. That's why prayer letters are so important. When you read those prayer letters, when you send them an email, when you pick up the phone and call them, when you Skype them, when you have them over to your home when they are here, those are all various ways in which you begin to build a relationship with them. And so some degree of love and affection comes into our lives and so we can pray for that. So he blesses us with God's love. Not only through these prayer letters do we learn to love the workers that we pray for, we begin to love the people that they are working for as well. Because as you know, when you read these prayer letters, they give us names of individuals. Often they are coded in these parts of the world for security reasons. 
But you know, there are people in various parts of the world who don't even know that I exist. But I know their names. I know their children's names. I know what kind of work situation they're going through. I know what challenges they're facing in the last month. How do I know them? By reading these letters. And so when I pray for them, I'm not praying for 70 billion unreached. Nobody can relate to those kinds of numbers. Most people can link to only 60 people, I'm told. You, know. you can't link to hundreds of millions of people. But you can link to two, three, four, five, six families. And so, God's love is poured out in our heart and we begin to feel a bit of what, of the, for the people that we are praying for. So, He blesses us with God's love. Secondly, He blesses us with Christ's perseverance. Why do we need that? Jesus' perseverance was to set His face resolutely towards Jerusalem. Now, you and I are not going to be crucified if we show up tonight. Okay, That's not the issue. But why do we need perseverance? The reason we need perseverance is that the enemy is going to attack us. Now, Christ has promised, God has, Paul has promised that he will protect us from that, but that doesn't mean we won't face the pressure. And Satan will use both internal and external factors to keep you from participating in this effort. There are three internal issues that come to mind. The first one is doubt. Ah, does it really matter? You know, Sheila spoke about faith. Do we really pray with faith? Does it really matter? Is prayer really all that important? That's why it began there. He will use uh, fatigue. Oh, Sunday evening. I've got to go to work tomorrow morning. I need to rest up. Sad fact of the matter is many of us are not really resting. We're watching television. Which is one of the most wearying things you can do before you go to bed. And thirdly, he might use probably more likely personal challenges. Most of our lives have personal challenges. There's probably a huge amount of suffering in this room right now. Personal anguish. And so how are we going to face issues over there? Well, we've got big problems right here. I'll come back to that near the end of the message. But I understand, these are some of the internal issues the enemy will use to keep you. And then there are some external issues. In many parts of the world, gathering together for prayer is dangerous. You can get arrested, probably killed even. Not here. There's no danger in your showing up tomorrow tonight. But he is most like the most likely external factor he will use is distraction. There's, we have so much, you see. Distraction is a peculiar curse of abundance. There are so many ways in which we can be distracted. So we need to be blessed with God's love and Christ's perseverance. Alright, so that's what we've learned so far. Intercessory prayer is a first priority good deed. Intercessory prayer is crucially important because Satan opposes it as hard as he opposes the actual work of mission. Therefore, it is absolutely important. And thirdly, intercessory prayer is sustained by God's love and Christ's perseverance, which is what we are being blessed with. We can draw upon those two things. Now I want to shift to the content. What are we going to be praying for them? Now, I've written emails to them quite a while ago and I've already got the material for tonight. Each of these three people that couples are going to be praying for have given us specific prayer requests. And so we'll be praying for them. And the next week we'll get three more. Next week we'll get three more. So we're going to remember all of those. We'll, you'll get them as you come and we'll pray. But something else happened about ten days ago that has directed my heart to just one issue that is crucial for us to pray for them and for us. Because you see, Satan is attacking us like he's attacking them. So whatever we pray for them, we need to pray for ourselves as well. So I want to speak for the rest of the sermon on just one prayer request. Because it's easy to remember one, not 18 or 20. So those you will get each night as we pray. But this one you can remember. Sham and I involved in a couple of leadership mentoring groups for several years where we meet with couples once every two months. 
And last Friday, a week ago Friday, we had one of these groups. And, one of the, and I encouraged them to bring topics to the group that they want to talk about. And so in this particular night, somebody brought a little booklet uh, that had recently exercised their heart and they wanted us to think about it. It was, as it was a booklet that was based on an incident near the end of Jesus' life. He's in the upper room having that last supper with the disciples. And he's predicting them that Satan is going to sift because of what's going to happen to him. And he said, you're all going to leave me. And then he turns to, and of course Peter boasts, and he says, Peter says, ah, they will all leave you, God, but I will never leave you. I'll go with you, I'll die with you. And, and Jesus kind of deflates that, said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before this day is over, in the next few hours. And then he said, don't be afraid, Peter, I've prayed for you. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were in a situation like that, where Jesus, my, my loyalty to Jesus was going to be tested severely, and that Jesus is going to pray for me. I know what I would want him to pray. I'd say, hey Jesus, two pray- you're going to pray for me? That's great. That's what I need. Here's two things you can pray for me. Pray that I won't be tested. Or pray that I will succeed. That I'll be a champion, right? No, that's not what Jesus said. But you know what Jesus said? I'm going to pray for you that your faith will not fail. Not that you will not fail. He in fact said you are going to fail. But I'm going to pray for you that your faith will not fail. What does that say to us about the importance of that? If in a time of severe testing, the one prayer Jesus is going to pray for his disciples is not to prevent the attack, not to prevent the failure, but to prevent the failure of faith in the failure. That says that becomes the number one priority as well. And so what I want to do for the rest of this sermon is to unpack what does it mean to pray that their faith will not fail? And what does it mean to pray that our faith will not fail? Because that's the same prayer for both of us. This is by no means exhaustive. It is more indicative of the way in which you can pray. First and foremost, we can pray for that their faith will not fail in the power of the gospel to save and hence an eagerness to preach. I get that from Romans 1.16 where Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for I am convinced that it is the power of God unto salvation first to the Jew and then to the Greek. Therefore, I am all the more eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. That conviction is needed. Another book I've been reading during the summer and reading these days is, is called The Glory of Preaching. And, and the writer there points out that the word gospel wasn't new with religion. It, it, it was the proclamation of good news that was used when a new Caesar was inaugurated. And the people would proclaim, Caesar is Lord. It was a proclamation of an event. And he said, every time you preach the gospel, you are proclaiming an event over the people. Jesus reigns. It's given me fresh enthusiasm to preach. And, and, and this is an easy place to preach among loved people. They preach amongst the hostile people. So we can pray for that faith. Secondly, we can pray for them that their labor in the Lord is not in vain. What did we learn last week as we finished our foundation studies and looked at eternal life? We learned that labor in this world leads to joy in the next. That there's continuity between what we do here and that, that in the new heavens and the new earth with gloriously resurrected bodies fulfilling our original Genesis mandate to rule and subdue the universe for the glory of God. All of that we are being equipped for by what we do here and therefore our labor in the Lord is not in vain. Intercessory prayer is labor and so we want to pray that the missionaries would know that their hard work is not in vain. This is especially true for those who are working in those parts of the world where no fruit is seen. David Livingston used to call them laborers of the night who had to believe that there was fruit coming in the future for the work that they were doing right now. That takes inordinate amount of faith. And so we need to pray for that. 
Thirdly, we can pray that for them that they, that they will have faith that any suffering, modest or large, actually advances the gospel. I get that from Philippians chapter 1 where Paul prayed this. He said, I pray that you may know that what has happened to me, meaning his imprisonment, has turned out for my deliverance. And the gospel has advanced. And he says it has advanced in two ways. I'm able to speak to all kinds of people in jail, which I wouldn't have otherwise. And the church outside has become emboldened by my imprisonment and people are preaching that never preached before. And so both new contacts within and new courage to preach outside came as a result of my, uh, of my suffering. So we can pray that their suffering, modest or large, will be sustained by this faith that is actually advancing the gospel and never hinders the gospel. And lastly, this is so important, that their, their faith in God's sovereignty over the whole missionary enterprise will be unshaken. You read through the book of Acts, by the time you get to the end of it, this is what looms large. God's sovereignty is writ large over every dimension of the mission. And by the way, the things over which God is sovereign in Acts are so relevant in the 21st century. So here are some of the things we can pray as we flesh out this prayer request. That they will have faith that God is sovereign when it comes to leadership elections. Leadership elections is a big deal here and there. It can often cause problems if people don't recognize that God is sovereign. We can pray for their faith that God will be sovereign when it comes to the timing when He pours out the Holy Spirit. And when they just have to wait and pray. We can pray for faith in God's sovereignty when He door opens and closes doors. Because Acts tells us that God closes doors, not people. And this is a big one. We can pray for faith in God's sovereignty about who gets the credit and who stays in the shadows. This is a huge deal. Today and then. But if people are willing to let God take care of who gets the credit and who doesn't get the credit, a lot of work will be done more effectively. That can only come from faith that God is sovereign. And then weather. Read the book of Acts, you'll find how often weather seemed to stymie God's work. Here at most only picnics get delayed. You know, Something much more serious happens over there. We can pray for that. Anyway, those are four dimensions of their faith not failing that came to my attention. Now, before we move to what does that mean for us to pray for ourselves, here's one question I want to answer. Does it really make a difference? Does it really make a difference to their faith if we pray that their faith will not fail? Let me tell you this story. Sham's reading a book by Noel Piper, John Piper's wife. Uh, it has to do with uh, heroic women in, on the mission field. And, and maybe not even all on the mission field. One was Sarah, Sarah Wesley. And so she was... Uh, reading me some sections from there was on Helen Rosevear's life. And some of you may not know, Helen Rosevear was a missionary who went to Africa. And she experienced some fairly significantly traumatic events in her life, including one where she was captured and actually raped. And she talks about how during that time she was saying, God, why have you abandoned me? And when Jesus, she said, Jesus spoke to me and said, I have not abandoned you. I am allowing them to use your body to get to me. Now, that would be absolutely unthinkable for another human being to say that to her. But when Jesus said it to her, it made all the difference. Now, that's remarkable just by itself. But the most remarkable thing was, Helen Rosevear found out afterwards, it is recorded in this book that Sham was reading, that she found out later on that someone at home had been awakened to pray for her just from the time the rape started till the time she heard Jesus say those words to her. So, do you think it makes a difference to their faith when we pray? Let us pray that their faith will not fail. Now how about us? 
Since you and I are going to be attacked in exactly the same way, we need to pray the same prayer for ourselves that in this enterprise that we are invoking, getting involved in in the next four weekends or Sunday nights, we need to pray that our faith will not fail. And again, I've just listed four things here. There are probably many more. First of all, we need to believe, we need to have faith to believe that we are doing something of cosmic significance. Why do I say that? Because we've just learned from Paul's letter to the Thessalonians that Satan opposes it. If he's opposing it, you can believe that this is something heavenly that we are involved in. This is something massively significant. So that's the first thing. And by the way, these four things is what I've been already praying for myself and what I have already prayed for you and I'm going to continue to pray for me and for you during these next four Sunday nights that our faith will not fail in these four areas. First, that we're doing something of cosmic significance. Secondly, that our labor in the Lord is also not in vain, that we also are preparing for eternity, that there's a connection between our labor here and our labor in eternity, that we are also expanding our capacities for joy in the new heavens and the new earth with newly resurrected bodies. And believe me, it is labor. I'm not going to set you up with some false expectation. We're not having potluck suppers for the next four Sunday nights. There are no strawberries and cream. Nothing. There are places and times for all of that. This is hard work. Trench warfare isn't pleasant. So you are being invited to labor in the Lord for the next four evenings. And therefore you and I need faith that our labor is not in vain. I can't, I can't persuade you of that. Only Jesus can. Only the Spirit can quicken faith within your heart. Thirdly, pray for faith that we are participating in the prayer life of Jesus himself. Now why do I say that? Well, the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is ever living to make intercession for us. Jesus lived for 30 years of obscurity in this world. He did a spectacular public ministry in three years. He accomplished the work of redemption in less than three days. For 40 days he appeared to the disciples. And then for 2,000 years he has been praying at the right hand of God the Father. And according to the scriptures there are two things he's praying for. First he's praying for our maturity. He is able to save us to the uttermost according to Hebrews. And secondly according to Psalm 2 he is asking the Father the nations for his inheritance. And so when you and I do that. When you and I come for the next four Sunday nights and pray that God will give the Turkey people, speaking people and the Fulani people to Christ as his inheritance, we are joining Jesus in his intercession. Can you tell me whether there's anything more significant? That's why I say to you so many times, there is nothing else that I do about which I can have 100% certainty that it's being done well. Not even for my preaching, because it's my own, my humanity can get into it, my pride can get into it, my foolishness can get into it, my inadequacy can get into it. But when I'm praying, it's not me. I'm just confessing to God that apart from Him, I'm worthless. And that I need Him to act. It is the one activity that we are guaranteed is being useful 100% of the time, because we are participating in the life of Jesus. Another book that I read during the summer. Uh, one single phrase from that has stuck with me. The, man, the author said... Because Jesus is alive and he is living in you, pray every day that the Spirit will express the life of Jesus through you. I've been doing that. I've been doing that every day now. And several times a day as it comes to my Lord, please express the life of Jesus through me. Well, if, if the Holy Spirit answers that prayer, you'll be praying for the nations. <laughs> because that is what Jesus is doing right now. And if the Spirit is going to express the life of Jesus through you, you will be praying that the nations may be given to Jesus. As his inheritance, because that's what he's praying right now. And then lastly, this is so important. 
And judging by the feedback at the end of the door, this is the most important thing. It is just as much. You need to have faith that all this is ultimately for our benefit. Because God doesn't need us. He can accomplish all these things without us. And frankly, He does because we don't pray a lot. And yet the kingdom is advancing all over the world. Why then does He want us to be involved? Because like in everything else, He's the giver and we are the receivers. So even when we are praying that He will bless the international workers for faith and all the other things you're going to ask God. It's for you and for me. And let me illustrate that because you won't, you won't believe me otherwise. Let me give you two illustrations. And one of which will be pertinent to people who are experiencing suffering and pain. I deliberately chose that one. This year I've been doing something afresh that I haven't done before. Every time I pray through a missionary's prayer letter and I'm learning something, I, I've been setting aside those prayer letters. And that pile has been getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's when this thing dawned upon me. Sundar, this is what it's really all about. I can do without your prayers. But you can't do without what happens to you when you pray. Two illustrations. One from Lisa Chang. Many of you know, and those who don't, that Lisa works in Cambodia. And she faces evil in its probably maximal dimensions. I cannot imagine being faced every day with the reality of children being sold as sex slaves. So she, she faces maximal evil. And so she wrote this in a recent letter. In all of this, I found myself praying in a whole new way as God is teaching me not to focus on the negatives, but to simply praise and exalt His name and declare out loud His greatness. The great I am. His power and victory we have in Him. It is amazing when one focuses on the bigness and greatness of God to praise that all the problems become like little molehills instead of the mountains that Satan wants to make them out to be. This kind of prayer has empowered me to pray big and bold in a whole new way with greater confidence so he is able. It's not a new principle but it's exciting. And I was able to share in that excitement because not too long before I read this, I was out in the ravine one day and I... I most of you know, long-term with the Rexel, no, I'm a melancholic by temperament and I can tend to get to the edge of depression sometimes unexpectedly. And there's nothing in my external life that, is, uh, that I can blame for depression. It's, it's all inside of me. And so this particular day or two or three days, I was wrestling again with issues of inadequacy, my weaknesses, in ways in which I feel I'd fallen short and what more I could have done and, and need to do. And I knew when I began to feel that way, I had to get out to that ravine as fast as I can. And I did. And I, I never went to Bible quizzing, so I didn't memorize a whole lot of Bible verses that way. But I did do one thing. I memorized dozens and dozens of hymns that focus on the greatness of God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And they are prayers. So I just sang. I picked every hymn that I could bring to my mind that talked about the greatness and the majesty of God and expressed prayers. And I did. And you know what happened? Exactly what she said happened. The mountains, in this case, the mountains were all inside of me. The mountains became moan hills. God became larger. I began to pray bold prayers for revival for myself and for you and this church. And I came back a completely different person than when I went. So why did God want me to read Lisa? She needs my prayers? Yeah, yes, she does. But really, God will take care of her. But I desperately needed it. Here's a second one, and this one will touch people who are suffering. So listen up, because you might say to me, I have too much pain in my life to be coming the next three nights to pray. Maybe you need to for a different reason altogether. David and Janice Haskell are good friends of this congregation and ours who work in Amman, Jordan. Actually, they work all over the Middle East, but they are based in Jordan. And Sham and I just spent time with them recently. And she wrote a letter shortly after we got back. Uh, one of her 
faithful intercessors in North America died succumbing to a brain tumor. She wrote this the next morning. It's heartache. Deep inside I know all the verses about death not having victory. But I cannot shake this melancholy. It's not that I'm depressed, but I'm sad. And I'm starting to get a bit of a handle on it. Part of it is entering into the life of the man of sorrows who was acquainted with grief. Another part is delving deeper into who I really am. I've often told people that the agony that accompanies any death is proof that there is something terribly wrong with this world. I'm not created for separation. I'm not created for the disruption of love. The grief only seems to deepen as time goes by. Yet I don't want to make it go away. I want to enter more deeply into it. You see, I've found that the odd nature of sorrow is that it enlarges my heart. The more I face it and feel it, the more I know that it's an indicator of my longing for a different reality. Then that longing is transformed. It opens my eyes and heart to see and feel that same pain and longing around me. And in the anguish of my heart, I experience a miraculous contradiction when hope blossoms. The essence of this hope is the love of God being poured into my heart. And because of this great hope, I stride forward with sorrowful joy and labor to see His kingdom come and His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Who would want to miss that? If you if, if you are suffering in a lot of pain, don't you want to hear something like that? There's so much more power coming from her than from me. That's why I say in the final analysis, when God calls us to intercede for the international workers, it is ultimately for your benefit and for mine. Let me draw this message to a close by two brief quotations, very appropriately from the most recent prayer letter I got from the Bradleys. It opens with a quote by Paul Bilheimer when he says this, Satan does not care how many people read about prayer if only he can keep them from praying. So can I paraphrase? Sundar, I don't care. Satan doesn't care how eloquently you preach about prayer. So long as I can, he can keep you from praying. Let me paraphrase again. Satan doesn't care how many amens you give to this message. He doesn't care how many links to this message you will tweet to your friends. What he only cares about is are you actually going to pray or not. So that's the first thing I want to leave with you. Now you might say, but I just don't know how to pray. I, I don't know how to pray this kind of prayer. You know what? You're the prime candidate to show up because the next quote was we learn to pray by praying. And let me give you an illustration. Because we're talking, right? Praying is talking, asking God. Can you imagine telling your children, when you have a baby that's born in the house, you say, well, this baby doesn't know how to speak. So I'm going to keep this baby isolated from all times when people are talking. Yeah, that, that's child abuse. The only way that child will learn to speak is by hanging around with people who are speaking, who do what she or he doesn't know, and then they will learn how to do it. It's exactly the same when it comes to prayer. The only way you will learn to pray is by hanging around with people who pray. And there's nothing wrong in saying, I don't know how to pray. You're a prime candidate to come and learn. So don't let anything keep you away. I want you to come for the next four Sunday evenings and take Satan on and say, yeah, you're going to attack me, but I'm coming after you. I'm standing ahead in front of you in the power and the name of Jesus. It's an in-your-face statement to the devil. That's what I'm asking you to do for the next four weeks. Come and join us. My benediction for you, I'm just going to take it straight from Paul's benediction because he knew what they needed to do this kind of work. So may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace Encourage your hearts and establish them in every good work and deed. And may he direct your hearts into God's love and into Christ's perseverance. Go in Jesus' name.